Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here again with Bishop Todd Hunter. I'm happy to be your guest. That's actually my current claim to fame. <laughs> I am the guest of Ben Sternke. Oh, uh, well, you are kind of, you're, you're playing double duty uh, this, this first series on our podcast because you are the guest officially because we're asking you all the questions. Uh, but eventually uh, you will settle into your other uh, role, which will be kind of co-hosting this as we have other people yeah, that'll be fun. on this podcast, which I'm uh, excited about. Yeah, uh, I know too. you are as well. Um, just one announcement uh, for you. Um, before we get into today's podcast, it's the Diocesan Convention uh, for C4SO. It's coming up November 14th. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, clergy, uh, if you're listening, you need to attend. Uh, the bishop said, I got an email that was very clear about this. <laughs> right? Did I yeah. say like show up or else you, or something? Yeah, yeah. You were very, no, you weren't. Uh, you were your typical uh, gentle self. Um, but anyway, uh, there's there's official business happening there, and so uh, we need to be there. But um, my understanding is, uh, if you're just interested in C4SO from afar, you're actually also welcome to attend this event. It'll be a webinar-type event online on November 14th. Uh, I'm assuming you'll address us, uh, Bishop, just about kind of the state of C4SO and what's going on. Yes, you're right. And, and yes, um, people who have a curiosity about us or whatever, or sort of kicking the tires as they say of C4SO, yes, mm-hmm. they would be very warmly welcomed. Okay, very good. Well, again, a link for that in the show notes. Um, we are in the middle of this inaugural series on our podcast on the story and the mission and the values of our diocese of C4SO. So if you haven't uh, listened to any of those other ones, I would encourage you to do so. Um, it gives you some good context in terms of how we got to be where we are today. Today, we're going to focus on the value. Uh, we've been through kingdom, we've been through spirit, and today we're focusing on formation as a value uh, of C4SO. Um, Bishop Todd, I know that formation has been uh has been a big deal for you uh, for for quite a few years, and I didn't uh, prep you for this question, <laughs> so we'll just see what happens. That just here. makes it more fun. Yeah, it'll be it'll make it more fun. So, um, but I I wonder if you could just like wh- why is formation and what we mean? We'll get into this and what we mean by this, but you know, spiritual transformation, the transformation of the inner person uh, into the likeness of Christ. You know, there's a lot of ways to talk about it. But how did this get to be such an important focus for you? Yeah. Well, if I talk about it autobiographically, I would say that in 1991, um, I can't remember my exact role in the vineyard at the time, but I was one of the senior leaders in the vineyard. And I should say nothing that I'm about to say here is any meant to be any sort of negative reflection on the vineyard. Um, I, I have just nothing but warm gratitude for my time in the vineyard. But there were things going on in the late 80s, early 90s that were deeply troubling to me, such that I was starting to have what I call a crisis of faith. But it wasn't a crisis of faith of, like, do I believe in God? It was more of a crisis of church, you might say, or a crisis Mm. of how do you know what's right amongst all these competing claims? 
And it was just deeply disturbing to me personally. So this is, like I said, this is not a story about the vineyard. It's a story about me. And I, to this day, Ben, I'm 100% grateful for this and 100% still kind of shocked at how this happened. But in the middle of all this really deep kind of existential wrestling, I heard the Spirit say to me, well, Todd, whatever's going on here is going on, but you need to take responsibility for your reaction to it. Now, I'm not that good of a person, and I'm not that smart, so I just take it that it really was the voice of God speaking to me, and that put me on a journey where um, I, uh, I left whatever my role was at the Vineyard Anaheim, and I, I moved to um, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and took hmm. over a little vineyard there and was overseeing all the churches on the, uh, the well, most of the East Coast. And so I just dedicated myself to a time where I knew I needed to, to in a sense, confront myself. So I went to seminary. I'd never been to seminary. Hmm. Um, I started doing some counseling. And I knew I, like, I'd never, I don't even know if I'd heard the phrase spiritual transformation or even spiritual formation. Certainly there was no movement in the early 90s, as we talk about it today. But I knew Richard Foster because he and John Wimber had been friends because they were both Quakers. And I had Richard's book, Celebration of Discipline, on my shelf. And so I got it off my shelf and I read it. And that was the spark that then led to all the other literature, you know, Henry yeah. Nowen and, yeah. uh, you know, all Richard's work on spiritual classics and streams and all that. It's how I um, heard Dallas Willard's name, Eugene Peterson, you know, that sort of stuff. So autobiographically, it mm -hmm. was addressing a need that I knew there was a brokenness in me that needed yeah. addressed. Yeah. If I think about it a bit more biblically, there are, obviously there's, you know, 39 things that stunned me about Jesus. But one of the things that just continues to just be stunning in its greatness and goodness to me is his genius that life happens from the inside out hmm. and that life does not happen from externals in. And yeah. of course, you know, that was the whole problem with the Pharisees and Sadducees approach to religion. And so Jesus's words about whitewashed tombs and uh, trees that based on their DNA um, either have good or bad fruit, um, washing the outside of the cup, leaving the inside untouched, all those kind of things to me, yeah. they are they are literally towering insights of all of humanity. Yeah. Um, they're unspeakably brilliant and powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which which gets back to that autobiographical part as well, where you realized, okay, the 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 crisis here is not just that there's things happening out there that are bothersome to me, but the crisis is my reaction. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that's coming out of the inner place of my soul, yeah. Like the the way that my soul is arranged, you know, right, right now, it, that's also a problem, um, and that's actually the problem that I have some responsibility for. Yeah, not the ones out there necessarily yeah. that I don't have a lot of control over. Um, yeah. So so spiritual transformation then is you know as as you kind of laid out um, uh, with that. Uh, kind of biblical overview of kind of the teachings of Jesus um, in regards to the inner life. It's um, one of the things that you've written is to say that it's the forming of our inner self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. And this is meant to train us for life in his kingdom. 
Um, and th- this is connected with some of the stuff we've talked about before, like the gospel of the kingdom, right? Yes. Where you said this is training us for life in his kingdom. So many of us grew up with this version of the gospel that it made it all about kind of what happens after we die. Yeah. Um, and that, and that th- whatever goodness would happen after we die sort of happens automatically, right? It's like after you die, sort of you, you just, you're automatically fine now and you're in yeah. heaven and, and you know, the, no more work is required. Right. Um, so um, uh, this phrase like training, training us for life in his kingdom is fascinating to me. And I wonder um, if you could talk a little bit more about why formation is necessary for us to live in God's kingdom and why that's something that we should be interested in doing now rather yeah. than sort of waiting to for you know, until we go to heaven when we die, so to speak, right. and just sort of trusting that it'll happen automatically. Like, like what, what, why is why is formation necessary, and why yeah. engage in it now? Well, I think spiritual transformation um, maps well onto Jesus's essential uh, invitation, which was "Come, follow me." Now, mm. that obviously gets our sins being forgiven, caught up in it, you know, reconciliation, regeneration, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things um, happen within that calling. And of course we do go to heaven when we die, which is an unspeakably amazing gift. But in a sense, that wasn't Jesus's point. It's almost like that's, it's just hard to say because of course eternity, like you just used that word eternity. It's like mm-hmm. such an enormous word. Yeah. So I don't think we ever want to say that like our eternal destiny is not an important uh, aspect of of salvation. It obviously is. But Jesus's fundamental invitation was, come follow me. Mm -hmm. And he knew that there were aspects of our inner being that weren't prepared to do that. We weren't ready to do that. We didn't have an inner stance to do that. We were too self-centered or we were too fearful or we harbored hate in our hearts, like in his day for, you know, the zealots would have hated the Essenes, the quietists, mm-hmm. the pietists, and they would have hated the Herodians who were political, and they all would have hated the Samaritans, right? Right. Um, and so Jesus knew as he called people, and this is why, and, and I think if there's a biblical word that is so key to formation, it's the biblical word uh, metanoia or metanoete. Um, you have to repent. Mm-hmm. Like, You have to actually rethink everything about your body, soul, spirit, your mind, your emotions, your social self. Like Mm. everything has to be rethought. So just think, uh, Ben, of the intersection of formation and what we're concerned about today with race relations or immigration Mm -hmm. or um, issues of poverty. Um, when our social self is not bent towards goodness, we're, we have a very hard time engaging those kinds of things. Yes, uh, You yes. have to actually have a social self, like your embodied self in a community that's bent towards the kingdom. Yes. So that's why for me, when I've articulated, you know, many years ago, these values for the diocese, that's why this was such a big deal to me. We literally mm-hmm. can't live out our other values without um, pursuing the repentance that, yeah. that Jesus meant. And I, I don't know if you've heard me say, but I never want that word to seem like a bummer or a big, like heavy load. That's what Jesus was mad at the Pharisees for, is they put these big heavy loads on mm-hmm. people. But Jesus said, the kingdom is unto little children. Yeah. And I know this is what I'm about to say is way easier said than done. It's easier said than done, even for me. And that is, I just think it's so important as we pursue our spiritual transformation into Christ's likeness, that we keep as much childlike joy as possible. Mm. 
Now I'm a recovering perfectionist and it's really easy for me to get down on myself. Super easy. Uh, even to this day. And so I have to remind myself that, no, this is meant to be more like a girl who just loves dance and so therefore loves to practice dance or a little boy who loves basketball. And so he loves to shoot basketball hoops or the other way around, a little boy who Mm -hmm. loves dance and a, you know, a girl who loves running track or something, but you know, they do it with joy. It's not some big burden. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that, that, that's a, that's a good reframing of formation because oftentimes it does feel like, um, a bummer, like you said, and it, um, but you know, Jesus gospel of the kingdom, this gets back to, you know, the kingdom value we talked about. Jesus gospel of the kingdom isn't this, isn't a burden that he lays on us. It's right. an invitation into, yeah. into true flourishing. Yes. It's an invitation into, um, what life uh, is meant to be like. It's an invitation to be, um, as we're calling, one of the things we say, we're doing us in the Sermon on the Mount series right mm-hmm. now uh, with our church. Um, and one of the things we talk about is Jesus inviting us into a truly human life. Yes. Like Jesus shows us what it means to be God, right? Mm-hmm. He shows us what God is like, but he also shows us what humans are like, you know, or what yes. humans can be like. And the invitation is, um, I like that picture of, you know, you love dance, well, learn to, learn to dance, you know? Yeah. It's going to take some formation. You don't automatically know how right. to do it. Yeah. You have to practice it. And you got to get um, the muscles for it and the right. balance. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there may be some... Uh, yeah, some discipline needed. Yeah, uh, spend some time in the weight room and mm-hmm. spend some time in you know in front of the mirror and all of that kind of thing. Yep. I don't know the, that much about how to become a good dancer. That was never my <laughs> me neither. Game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully those are things that you would do. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so one of our speaking of that Sermon on the Mount series, um, and this relates to your point. One of our parishioners had said um, something that sort of in hindsight feels obvious, but I think is a pretty profound point that part of the assumption that Jesus seems to be making in the Sermon on the Mount as he gives it, and part of the reason I think it feels sometimes impossible to us, is that we'll need to undergo some training in order to become the kind of people who can actually do these things. Right. Right, to actually love my enemy, well, that feels impossible. Well, sure, it probably is for you now. You're right. But there is this possibility and this invitation to train as a disciple of Jesus to, to the point where your inner life could become like the life, the inner life of Christ, who was able to, out of the fullness of his heart, and in ironically, in some level of joy, able to love his enemies. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love that. Um, so I, I think related to that, part of the reason that formation sometimes feels like a bummer and it sometimes feels impossible is that we don't, we think of it as something that's all of our job. Right. Like God has laid this burden on me. He's laid this uh, command, love your enemies. Mm -hmm. You know, now get busy, you know, or, you know, or else. Right. Um, But, uh, you know, obviously that's not how formation works. Formation works by God in his grace acting as the primary actor, right? God's actually doing this work in us, but that doesn't set aside our agency either. And I think this is a Willard quote, um, that grace is not opposed to earning, or grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Correct. So some effort is required, but we're also trusting that God is actually working with us and and doing the bulk of the work. And our, right. our so we have a job, and God has a job. We have a part. God has a part. Um, I'm wondering if you can maybe uh, explain this a little bit more, unpack for us a bit more. Like, what's this partnership like between God and us in our formation? What is our part? What is God's part? What should we actually do? Right. 
I think the simplest way to understand this would be to, um, for all of our listeners to close their eyes and picture themselves standing on the dusty street of some first century town, like say Galilee, and Jesus is looking at them and they're looking at him and he says, come follow me. Well, you have to take a step. <laughs> and you, you know, you might be malaligned, like maybe you're standing perpendicular to Jesus as he says that to you. Well, you're going to have to turn yourself so that you can then walk in the direction that he's walking. So um, I think properly understood, all this is is cooperation yeah. with the initiation of God, who God in Christ, you know, again says, um, come follow me. Well, we have aspects in us that are bent against that. So like you mentioned, love your enemies. Well, okay, so Jesus' first hearers heard him say that, and we hear him say it, you know, now through the testimony of the scriptures. But what the heck do we do, Ben, if actually my heart is full of hate? Right. It's, it's like I can even put a little plaque on the wall or make a Christian chorus that says, you know, love your enemies and mm. make it into a pretty chorus. But that's not the same as actually becoming the kind of person who both would do it mm-hmm. and could do it. Yeah. So would gets to the bent of our will. Do I even really want to learn to love my enemies right. or do I suppose that life works better if I hate them? Mm-hmm. Life leaves me more in control, whatever, if I hate, abuse, shun, whatever, my enemies. So there's a part of it that gets down to our will or to, in um, James K. Smith's terms, I think, I don't remember if it's me or him, but our wanter. Mm-hmm. You know, James talks about our desires. You know, James yeah. Smith talks about our desires or I talk, will or not, I talk about wanter. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, do I want to love my enemies? And then how do I get to the place where I could, where I have the capacity to do it, yeah. where it becomes the sort of knee-jerk habit of my heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why sometimes I don't, I, can't, I don't think we can 100% as Christians um, pick up the philosophical tradition associated with cultivating virtues, but it's not far off. <laughs> um, and no. I think the notion of we're, we're just, we're cultivating virtues so that um, like one of the big cardinal virtues, obviously would be love to love the, uh, to will the good of others. Mm-hmm. So I remember being a little kid, Ben, when, even though I played mostly baseball and played baseball in college, actually my first love as like a 10, 11, 12 year old was basketball. Hmm. And I would be out in the, we had a hoop on our garage and I would be out. I mean, I would stay out till midnight if my mom would let me shooting free throws. And just, you know, worried, just not worried, wondering about the angle of my elbow, um, how the ball was rotating yeah. off my fingertips. Got to keep it tucked in. Yeah, it gets really <laughs> arcane. You know, it gets yeah, down to yeah. tiniest things to, you know, shoot a basketball mm-hmm. well. Well, I was, I was into it. I wanted to shoot. Yeah. I wanted to make 10 out of 10 free throws basically all the time yeah. or certain jump shots or bank shots or whatever. Well, again, we're back to, do we have that same will? Do we actually want to become the kind of person yeah. who loves our neighbors? Mm. And if we do, well, then we'll, we'll naturally and joyously um, stop to think, okay, why do I have a heart? So here's a classic process of formation. Okay, why is this difficult to me? And maybe you discover fear mm. um, 
Or maybe you discover that you come from a family where you were habituated in prejudice or something, racial yeah. prejudice or mm-hmm. prejudice towards poor people or smart people or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what formation does, it, so disciplines like silence and solitude and those sorts of things, like fasting is a really big deal if you're a control freak. Um, all these disciplines do is help us get to the broken bits of us so that we can see it. Hmm. Like solitude just helps us slow down and get stuff off of our radar screen. It's like defragging your computer or something back when that was a, I think a PC term of defragging your, your, you know, your PC. Yeah. Hard drive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it works like that. It's just, it's simple cooperation. Like you said, with the, with the already initiative of God in our life. Like Jesus is the one who said, come follow me. Right. And he's the one who makes it possible. And it's Mm -hmm. in him that all this happens and the power of the spirit and the grace of God. So yeah, we're, we're, we're like ensconced in this God power and this God will, this God vision. And then we just give our little human cooperation to it. Hey friends, the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight is a brief segment on our podcast where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, led by A.J. Sherrill, who is new on the job, and he has joined us here to share briefly about what's going on right now so that we can pray uh, specifically for them. A.J., welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Awesome. Thanks to be glad to be here and excited to be part of the C4SO family. All right. Um, so I'll ask you the questions I ask everybody. Um, what's one thing that you're encouraged by right now at St. Peter's? Yeah, it's actually a paradox. It seems like politics are at an all-time discouraging level <laughs> for people. And we're doing a series right now of just trying to figure out not just the positions we hold, but how we hold those positions. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I've been really encouraged by the way this body of Christ here in Mount Pleasant is really um, sensitive and open to holding positions in a way that humanizes whoever is across the table, which is, I think, a third way that the church needs to really lean into. Mm. Yes. Amen to that. I'm really glad to hear that. That is encouraging. Um, AJ, what's one challenge that you're facing right now at St. Peter's? Yeah, we are in a uh, crisis of multitude proportion as a culture, and Mm -hmm. we have not had a family life pastor slash youth pastor for a Mm -hmm. few months. And this is a really hard time for teenagers for many reasons. Um, So we're really burdened to pray and to ask God to send us an incredible man or woman that is going to guide our teens into Christ formation. Um, I believe Jesus called a bunch of high school sophomores to follow him. Um, (laughs) And so we want to take teens seriously. So you can pray for us in that way. Very good. How else can we pray for you then? I, I think that, you know, I'm integrating into a new role here, and whenever a body of Christ uh, attaches to a new lead pastor, all sorts of warfare, I'm sure, will mm. be around the corner. So just pray that we are aware of the enemy's schemes and also mm. leaning into being a Jesus people um, for the sake of the world here in Mount Pleasant, in the Low Country, and beyond. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. Uh, friends, uh, you can pray uh, for those things for St. Peter's and for AJ and for the whole team there. Um, AJ, thanks for joining us. Uh, honored. 
Um, you can all find out more about St. Peter's uh, or contribute to their work uh, or submit a resume if you think you might be a good candidate for the job um, of Family Life uh, Associate. Uh, check out the link in the show notes for that. AJ, thanks again. Appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, cheers. So I'm hearing you say God's part is to sort of accomplish the transformation, you might say. Like yeah. God is the one who is actually transforming us. Absolutely. And he's doing that by transforming our will and our capacity. Yes. Right? So our what we want changes, mm-hmm. and what we're able to do changes. So we become, you know, as you said, we, we, we want to love our enemies. You know, we, we realize, oh, this is a much better way. And my 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 wanter is actually beginning to be transformed, and then if if the process is working well, then we we find that we are steadily more able yes. to love our enemies mm-hmm. in situations where oh yep here here's a situation you know mm-hmm. it's not a theory it's like oh in right. this situation this person called me a name or called me out on social media or you know whatever and I noticed that the response in my heart was different than it would have been six months ago. Right. That's and there's evidence a, that God's at there's, work. Yeah. And there's a really important insight here, Ben, that um, to have that thought, to have that little knee-jerk reaction of like hatred back mm-hmm. or being really ticked off or whatever, mm-hmm. that that is not a sin. Mm-hmm. To be tempted to flame back on Twitter is not a sin. Good. The sin is to do it. Yes. And that is just such a big deal because none of us are going to get to the place where we never lust again, we never covet again, we never have an angry uh, and a disordered anger thought again. Right. And we just can't beat ourselves up about it. We, yeah. What we have to do is like you said is recognize it. Yes. And because we've been cultivating virtue, we then can sort of add as Peter says, you know, in Oh shoot! I forget if it's first or second Peter, and the beginning Peter where one, he, think. you know, where yeah. he says, "Add, you know, keep adding Add these things." Yeah. So then, yeah, we we then add that growing virtue in us, so that we don't then, um, yeah. you know, if, if we've been slapped on one cheek on Twitter, we don't slap back, right? But we might have had the thought to do it, but we're, right. but th- that's okay. That's just human. Um, but we, but because we're cultivating love. Uh, then the love ends up winning, yeah. and we yeah. we don't do it. Yeah, I think that's good because a, a lot of us sometimes in our you know a journey of transformation, I think we feel defeated before we actually are. Yes, mm-hmm. which which makes us maybe give in a little bit more easily yeah. to the temptation or we give up. Like, yeah, like when we are tempted, we we think, oh, well, see, you see, it's not working, right? Because I'm still tempted. And I think we forget, mm-hmm. you know. Jesus was tempted. Yes. Like all the way up until the crucifixion, there was mm-hmm. temptation because he was a human. And so even a human without sin can experience temptation. And so, and I, I like what you said too about just noticing the reaction in me um, that I, I think that's another evidence of growth for us sometimes is, is you know, even if we give into uh, the temptation, how quickly do we realize that we've done so? Right, because a lot of these things just happen so automatically mm-hmm. that sometimes growth is just oh, I just I realized sooner yes. that I had done something mm-hmm. rather than you know it took me a week or I never noticed you know that kind of a thing. So yeah, that's good. What um, 
so as as we engage in this, you know, we, we've mentioned some of these things, but like, what are some common pitfalls? Um, well, just to just to just to recap, so God accomplishes the transformation, and our part is to cooperate. And some of the, some of those classic spiritual disciplines are essentially just our cooperating with God's action. That mm-hmm. we're actually just sort of submitting ourselves and allowing God to do what God wants to do, mm-hmm. rather than. That's been a really freeing thought for me is realizing that my my part in this is just to stop resisting yeah. <laughs> God's action. And so spending time in silence or solitude or fasting, that's essentially waking me up to what's actually happening in me yes. so that I can be present to how God wants to be with me in that and how God wants to transform that. Right. So as we engage in this, um, I don't know if you have any, like, what are some common pitfalls that people uh, fall into as they as they try to get serious about formation? Well, one pitfall would be the thought that um, the more spiritual disciplines I'm doing, the more spiritual I am. And that's a really big misunderstanding of the disciplines. Mm -hmm. The disciplines are meant to be applied wisely, and as we've said a couple times, in and through grace. But so a lot of times we need help um, to help us know which discipline we ought to be using at any given moment in our life. Yeah. And not everybody can afford a spiritual director. If you can, that's great. But it, it doesn't have to be a professional spiritual director. It can just be a wise Christian friend mm-hmm. who, for instance, you're sitting with. And and uh, maybe I say to you, Ben, yeah, gosh, I'm just struggling with this really radical pride. And it's just like so important to me that people recognize me and value me. And, you know, while, you know on and on and mm-hmm. on, you're saying this to a director or a friend. Well, a director might give you the discipline of, okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, every day for the next month, try to do something good for somebody, but do it in a way such that they would never know you did it. Hmm. And then let's talk about it again next month. Yeah. Or somebody might say, you know, my mind is just raging out of control with everything online today. Well, a wise spiritual director might say, well, why don't you try some silence or solitude and see what Mm -hmm. happens. Just notice what happens to you when you shut that off. Mm -hmm. This is why Ignatian spirituality has become such a big deal to me over the last decade or two. And a lot of Eugene Peterson's work, uh, now and as well as I think about it, Mm -hmm. you know, that that sort of Catholic pietistic stream and the more Protestant one, uh, you know, in Foster Willard Peterson, Mm -hmm. fundamental to to, uh, spiritual transformation, just learning to notice. Yes. Notice yourself. Like, uh-huh. just come to notice your anger. Yeah. Notice God. Notice what the Spirit's doing. Um, notice others. And so a big part of the disciplines is just learning to notice. Um, yes. And then the other thing I'd say, and we've we've sort of hinted around about this, but maybe we should say straight out, that this is all about training, not trying. Mm. Like, if we sort of, you know, I just picture that 14-year-old kid, you know, 14-year-old boy, who's just sort of gruntingly, you know, trying not to look at naughty pictures online. But everything in him wants to. See, his wanter hasn't changed yet. And as long as you're gruntingly trying not to do that, you're going to fail most of the time. But if if we could get that boy um, to change his view of women Mm -hmm. and to not see them as objects for, you know, to objectify them for his pleasure but to see them as people he's put on earth to serve, well, mm-hmm. that that alone will just change everything about his wanter. Now, again, the kid's not going to suddenly be blind and not, you know, know a half naked human body. Right, um, right. But his but his or her bent yeah. 
right towards the opposite same or the opposite yeah. sex or the same sex or whatever someone's yeah. deal is yeah. it's the objectifying of others right that we want to actually get at not so that's yes. a matter of training our heart yes so since this is uh, baseball season and it's the playoffs um, in baseball we had a thing called soft toss soft toss s o f t toss and so you may have seen this, um, like if you got to a major league game early enough, there'd be a batting cage set up around home plate and the batting cage is made out of net. Um, and you would see sometimes a young guy, 24, 25, 26 years old, maybe getting paid $20 million a year because he can hit a baseball. Mm-hmm. But like a little leaguer, a coach will be down on one knee. There'll be a white bucket full of baseballs. And the coach will just literally toss the ball up a foot or a foot and a half in front of this, you know, enormous great athlete and Mm -hmm. whack this guy's hitting the ball into the side of the net over and over again whack just a little toss like i said Mm -hmm. 18 inches 24 inches called soft toss you could actually go down below stadiums and you would see major league hitters hitting balls off a tee Mm. like they do at four years old t-ball t-ball well you got to wonder well what are they doing well they're trying to train something in their body like what Mm. are my hips doing what are my shoulders flying out what are my hands doing through the hitting area, and they're trying to embody something so that when the pressure's on in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning and the game's on the line, they're not thinking. You actually can't think and hit at the same time. Mm-hmm. The ball goes from the pitcher's hand to across the plate. I'm going to forget now off the top of my head, but I think it's like, I don't know, it might be less than a second or a second and a half yeah. or something. I'm forgetting yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. But you literally, the, your body, you can't actually think and hit at the same time. It has to be ingrained in you, embodied in you. And I just mm. think that's a beautiful <laughs> metaphor. I'm sorry, it's athletic. Um, we could do the karate kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, Danielson, yeah. wax the car, yeah, you know, yeah, sand the, the floor, paint that's the good. fence. Yep. And, he, and it's through doing that that he then embodies these karate moves so remember right. when he goes in the house and challenges Mayogi and Mayogi says, Daniel, defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And Mayogi goes to punch him. Daniel goes, wax the car, you know, blocks mm-hmm. the punch. You know that yeah. I know I'm dating myself. That's a really old movie. No, I, I loved that movie but, as a kid. But so. both those illustrations, or you could think of somebody practicing scales on the piano or a violin, they're embodying a reality in them. And this is yeah. what the disciplines are meant to do for us. Um, they're just to help us learn to, as we said, take on the inner being of Christ himself so that yes. um, it's habitual to us or it's virtuous. They be, you know, they, we, we actually do take on these Christ-like virtues. Yes. It comes out of us as a matter of course. Yes. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. shooting for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And so th- these are meant to train us and to embody um, a virtue, uh, one way to put it, um, the, the image of Christ in us. Um, and to do the disciplines then is not like righteousness. To do the disciplines is wisdom, because yes. because we realize we need training. Yes, and half the time yeah, the that's disciplines a very good are just way to of putting it, just to wake us up, right? The, the, but we the should sorry, Ben. To, we should underscore that. That's yeah. really important. That that um, these that the pursuing of formation in Christlikeness and the use of the various disciplines to do that is just it's not righteousness. It's right. wisdom. Yeah, it's, wisdom, it's very yeah. important. Yep. Yeah, I, I sometimes joke, you know, that I uh, I'm enough of a sinner that I need to do a lot of fasting mm-hmm. in order to stay a Christian. Yeah, you know, or mm-hmm. or, or even uh, sometimes um, I'll joke with people that um, 
that you know ministry, getting called to holy orders and full time ministry, that kind of thing. Um, that's actually God's remedial program for people yeah. who can't figure out how to be Christians the normal way. <laughs> yeah, it just gives you more <laughs> more stuff to work. I on. have to do this as part of my job now. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes. All right. Well, maybe one final question here. You know, we've been using a lot of metaphors, and I find the athletic metaphors are really helpful uh, because it it is you know the the muscle memory thing is mm-hmm. is very similar to how we're thinking about what it means to sort of have our inner being formed. Um, but what what does um, using a phrase here that I've heard Scott McKnight use, Christoformity, yeah, like to be formed into the image of Christ. What what does that? Obviously, you know, we've been using metaphors about hitting baseballs and mm-hmm. doing karate moves and dancing and things like that. But um, I wonder if you could paint us a picture of maybe some of the evidence that we might look for to know if we are being formed into the image of Christ. Is yeah. there a way that we could look and say, this is you know, maybe part of how I'm seeing progress in my own spiritual formation? Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind is just sort of a tip. Um, when Dallas Willard wrote The Divine Conspiracy, I think the last chapter is called A Curriculum for Christlikeness. Yeah. Um, then our, my friend James Bryan Smith uh, took up the the kind of the life goal of trying to flesh that out. And so, you know, his trilogy, but the one uh, the, of Jim's books that really gets at this is The Good and Beautiful Life. Yeah. And so if you haven't seen that, I would commend that to you. Putting it uh, just briefly here for a podcast, I would say, Ben, that we notice our desires beginning to change. Hmm. Um so that it doesn't feel, again, so legalistic or overly religious in that sense or, yeah. or you know, pharisaical or something. It just it yes. doesn't feel that way anymore. Like, I, I just genuinely desire to be a person that people experience me as for their good. Therefore, the temptation to slap somebody's cheek, it just kind of goes away. Yeah. So first thing is our desires. Oh, sorry, just there's a really quick story. <laughs> I was with Dallas somewhere... And he told this story of growing up uh, in rural Missouri as a young boy that they didn't have electricity. And so electricity typically came in the form of streetlights. And then, you know, they would, so electricity would come and with it came streetlights. And Dallas, when he was a kid, he said, a little boy, he said, I used to love to shoot those streetlights and cats, he said, with my BB gun. And he got quiet. This is probably 20 years ago. And he got quiet and he sat back sort of wistfully and he said, you know, it's just been a really long time since I felt tempted to shoot a streetlight or my neighbor's cat. <laughs> and that's what we're shooting for. Like yeah, it just yeah. it just doesn't it just doesn't come to my mind to slug somebody else in the face because they slugged me. Yeah. Like what we're shooting for is that's just not like a part of who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I really have taken on Christoformity. Yeah. Now, as we've said, it's never going to be perfect. Don't ever shoot for right. perfection. Just shoot for growth. Um, and you'll create a trajectory in your life that growth will happen even after you die. Mm-hmm. Like you will experience eternity as the as the fulfillment of all your desires that you've set that trajectory in your life. Hmm. So I think the first thing is desire. Um, the next thing I think is cultivating. We've talked about this. So I'll say it again. It's cultivating the habits of noticing what's real without judging yourself or others. And again, I would just point you to Ignatius of Loyola. It is so important that we're really clear about reality 
Um, yeah. Unreality is never our friend. It's never the path to truth. The only path to liberating truth is reality. And we just have to get comfortable there. Yeah. So if you're still afraid, okay, just keep noticing why. If you're mm -hmm. still lustful, okay, just keep noticing why and just ask yourself over and over again why and sit with God and do those Ignatian practices and notice the desolation you feel um, mm -hmm. in those moments and then yes. notice the times where you feel consolation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I just think, so our wanter, learning to notice, and then maybe third, I would say, you know, as the writer of Hebrews said, we are always receiving an unshakable kingdom. Mm. So like literally the kingdom of God is never at risk. I mean, it feels like the whole world's at risk right now. And whatever date this is in October, 2020, it literally feels like the whole world's at risk in yeah. many different ways. Yeah. But the kingdom is never at risk. It's an unshakable kingdom. And to the degree that we're deriving our lives from that kingdom and living in it, that means that we're always safe. Yeah. which then liberates us to a kind of love, a, uh, a selfless love, a devotion to the good of others uh, that then liberates us kind of automatically from things like hatred and judgment and willing the bad of others to willing the good. And see, I think that's the kind of both the vision and the process of Christiformity. Yes. Yeah, that's really helpful. So noticing, noticing our desires, um, noticing our ability to rest in the unshakable nature of the kingdom. Um, but then I think that the middle one you said is, is really, really important and one that it's not oftentimes thought about, that my ability to be with what is real, even when what is real is negative or uh, something I don't want to look at or yeah. something I'm ashamed of, right. you know, even when that, but, but actually growing in Christlikeness in growing into that capacity is, is growing into our capacity to be with that rather than judge it or dismiss it or try to fix it. Yeah. But we're able to be in it and be with the Lord in the midst of my yes. fear or my shame. Um, that's really, really important. Um, yeah. Jesus was with Oh, sorry, Ben. Jesus was with Peter in his three denials and was right. with Peter on the beach when he healed him and reconciled yes. their relationship and he recommissioned him. Yep. That withness yep. is just enormously important. That yes. God, you're right, God is with us in our worst moments, in our neutral moments, um, and he's with us as he like heals and, and yes. recommissions us. So yes. I think... Um, to bring us back to where we started, Ben, you know, with the genius of Jesus, you know, that um, that spiritual transformation happens from the inside out. Um, I love this uh, paraphrase that I, I did for Proverbs 4.23 for one of my books, and it's something that I just carry around with me all the time. Put everything you have into the care of your heart, the hidden, causative, motivational you. For everything you do flows from it. It's the real source of your outward life. It determines what your life and leadership amounts to. That's my uh, paraphrase. I think I did for my book, Our Character at Work, um, mm. on Proverbs 4.23. I just, I just think Jesus is a stunning genius. Yes. And, you know, Scott McKnight's term of Christiformity was his way of moving away from a mere sort of cruciformity. Okay. Um, now, that, again, that sounds a little scary because what could be more central than the cross? But what, <laughs> what Scott was trying to get at 
is that Jesus is more than that moment of death on the cross, yeah. such as his genius insights about yes. how humanity really works yes. from the inside out. That's awesome. That's great. Well, uh, let, we'll let that be our exhortation and blessing uh, for today, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll go from there. Thanks, Bishop Todd. Appreciate Thank you, ben. Um, sharing some of your thoughts about formation. Uh, we'll continue this series for a couple more weeks, outlining um, our final two values, and then uh, we'll begin to hear from some others in the diocese uh, and some other topics. Uh, we have an Advent series coming up that I'm really excited about. Uh, we'll talk more about as we uh, as we get going. But for now, I think that's good enough, eh? Hey, thanks, Ben. <laughs> All right, peace. again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.